Well, a couple times a year, we kind of step back as a church and try to remember or refocus what we're all about. Try to do that in September, a couple weeks, and I uh, try to do that in January. Maybe you didn't notice, but I did. I do. <laughs> so here in September, uh, we want to just step back for the next couple weeks and, 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 and talk about our vision as a church. Who, who are we? Uh, what are we all about? And, uh, you know, kind of refocus. Because to be the kind of church that God has called us to be, we've got to have clarity on our identity and on our purpose. That's true. We know that's true in our professional lives. We know that's true in our personal lives. You need clarity to know if you're doing what you need to be doing, if you're going where you need to be going. That's actually truth across the board, and it's really true for us as a church. Let me ask you, what is a messy shopping list, sketchy directions, a mumbling teacher or a dirty windshield all have in common? They're not clear. (laughs) They're not clear. And that lack of Clarity can take you places you didn't want to go, right? Can lead to misunderstanding. You bring home the wrong stuff from the store. Or you, you end up at the wrong place or, or don't get end up at the place at all. You've copied down the wrong information and you're in trouble now when the exam comes. Lack of clarity leads to misinformation, misdirection, missed turns, even accidents. Allow me to illustrate from a classic film. Just a short clip for you. Enjoy this. Let me ask you, what does that man need? Can we say it together? Clarity. Clarity. He needs clarity. Now, what did he get because he didn't have clarity? Who remembers the rest of the story? What did he get because he didn't have clarity? Death by Dilophosaurus. That, what? Dilophosaurus. 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 Potato, potato. But you don't want that, do you? So there's your lesson for this morning. Without clarity, you could die by Dilophosaurus. Die being the key word there, the key emphasis. Without clarity. We don't know if we're going where we need to go. We don't know if we're going to get there. We, we don't know when we're off track. We don't know when we're on track. We can't know without clarity what we're supposed to be doing. We need clarity. And this is why we take these moments to step back and ask our vision. Now, if you're new to the Erickson Covenant Church, you're just exploring like who it is. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you're just checking out the Erickson Covenant Church. Maybe you yourself are exploring like who is this Jesus? I'm kind of intrigued. I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm not too sure. This is actually a great series for you to jump in on because you'll kind of get a sense of who we are, what we're all about, and you know what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to pursue. So it's, it's really great for you. Sorry, I'm going to reclip things. Oh, no, I'm not. There we go. There we go. Awesome. Um, but also for anyone who calls the Erickson Covenant Church home or this is where you, you, you know, decide this is where I serve, this is, this is, these are my peeps, this, consider this like your fall tune-up where we all uh, remember and get clear on who we are and where we're going as we head into the fall. Now, to achieve clarity as followers of Jesus, we always look to Jesus. He's the one that ultimately gives us clarity. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to explore a significant moment in the life of Jesus when pivotal clarity came to his closest followers. Here's the story. It's in the first of the four stories of Jesus. 
the one that Matthew recorded, the very first book of the New Testament. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. We spent the whole summer looking at a series of kingdom stories that Jesus told that were in Matthew chapter 13, all those parables and stuff we, we explored. Um, today's story is just a couple of chapters later. And between those kingdom stories that Jesus shared in Matthew 13 and what we're looking at today, Jesus has continued to reveal his identity and his purpose to his disciples. He's done that by continuing to teach about the kingdom of God, continuing to to show how he is the one that it's all about, as well as through powerful miracles. You know, he's fed twice thousands of people with a little bit of food he's healed the sick he's even walked on water between that series of stories and today a lot has happened in those few chapters but everything jesus was saying everything he was doing was going somewhere it was leading to a point everything he did was meant everything he did was meant to provoke a response and it really did that the whole country at this point is abuzz with Jesus' fever, trying to figure out who is this guy, what is he all about, where does he fit in the story, how do we make sense of what he's doing? So we're going to pick up the story there. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, if you have a Bible, but if you don't, you can listen along. Uh, we're only going to cover the first part of the story today, and we'll finish the rest of it next week in part two of our, of our vision series. Here's how it starts. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, this is this ancient city that's north of the Sea of Galilee, when he came to that region, he asked his disciples, these are his closest followers, he said, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, whenever Jesus talks about the Son of Man, he's actually referring to himself. Now, I know it's a little odd if you go to a party and someone has this habit of referring to themselves in the third person. You know, like Tom loves this party. (laughs) Tom would like a drink, you know. Uh, it's awkward and it's weird, right? Because you think, what is that guy on? And, and uh, so people refer to themselves in the third person, yeah. But Jesus, he does this on purpose when he takes this phrase, the Son of Man. It's like a loaded term. It's a biblically loaded term because it's from ancient prophecies that talk about God, God's promised king that he would send to establish his kingdom and that when that happened, that kingdom would be uh, would go on forever, would would never end. And so it's it's a loaded term, and Jesus uses it to apply to himself. Sounds kind of weird to us, but it's indicating something really important. And when the people of his day heard it, they had a bunch of resonance with with this term, okay? So Jesus wants to know, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say I am, is what he's asking them. Well, there'd been a lot of talk because of the buzz that Jesus had created, and so the disciples, they kind of rattle off the latest polls. Well, uh, some say John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus, a cousin of Jesus, but he had already lost his head to Herod. And so some thought, well, maybe this is like John the Baptist come back. Maybe. Others say Elijah. Still others, uh, Jeremiah are, are one of the prophets. And in other words, everything, everyone thinks that Jesus is someone special. In fact, not just special, but someone prophetic. And so they reach for these important figures, that these categories they already have, these important figures that somehow represent to them someone special, someone God-touched, someone with the Word of God and, and doing these mighty acts of God. They aren't sure who he is, but they are sure that God is connected to him somehow because of his teaching, because of his mighty demonstrations of power. And so they rattle it off. Well, that's all fine and good, but now Jesus takes it and makes it personal 
He says, okay, all right, all right. So that's what everybody else is saying. What about you? Who do you say I am? It's one of the most clarifying questions in all of the Bible, in any spiritual quest, the question of who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think I am? And Jesus just throws it down for them. Who do you think, who do you say I am? Because that's the point, isn't it? You know, what others are saying, what others are thinking, what, what, what people are spouting or, or, or believing, you know, all of that aside, it's really comes down to you and I. What do I, you, think about Jesus? Based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, based on what, what you've read, based on what you've investigated, based on what you've taken in firsthand, not just hearsay, but firsthand, based on what you've seen and heard, and who do you think Jesus is? Who am I, Jesus says. Well, Simon Peter one of Jesus' closest core followers, suddenly says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter, in this statement, brings together two very significant realities. Not only that Jesus is the promised Messiah sent from the Father to bring deliverance and coherence and rescue to his people, to be their deliverer king, but, but also that he's not just the Messiah, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a guy of significance, but that he's also the son of the living God, the son of the one that they had been following, the son of Yahweh, the son of the one who had rescued them out of Egypt, the son of the one who had created the world, that he was the son of the living God. And this confession forms the very center of who Jesus is. It defines not only his person, but it defines his mission. And it's not as though Peter is just like smart enough. He's like a cut above the other 12, 11, sorry. It's not that he's just smart enough to figure it out. Because we already know from other stories of Peter that his mouth tended to pass his brain, you know? Run faster. Anybody have that problem? Yes. So we can sympathize with this guy. So it's not as though he is just a higher intellect and he sort of put it all together. No. Jesus replied to this confession and said, Blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, you weren't smart enough to put this together. You didn't have enough intellect. It wasn't like you were the special guy. We're going to now treat you like the teacher's pet because you are the one who really excelled and all the rest of those losers didn't get it. That's not what went on here. This is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. This central confession of Simon Peter became the central confession of the church. And it provides the kind of clarity that we still need as a church. We can summarize it this way. Clarity comes when Jesus Christ forms the foundation and marks the mission of the church. Let me be more precise. When Jesus forms the foundation and marks the mission of the Erickson Covenant Church. That's when we receive clarity. Let's break that apart just for a few moments. First, Jesus forms the foundation of our church. Truth is, just cutting right to the chase, we're Jesus people. That's who we are, through and through. We come from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different experiences, but when you cut right down to the core, we are Jesus people. 
We believe that Jesus is the real deal. He's the master teacher. He's the living God. He's the only way to true union with the Creator. He's the one who leads and guides our lives through the gift of His Holy Spirit that He has given to us. Jesus is the one and the only, the true revelation of God to us. And by believing in Him, not just as an intellectual ascent, not just a, a bunch of propositions, but by believing Him, mind, heart, soul, body, our whole selves, as we believe in Him, we trust our lives to him as we offer our lives and say our lives are in your hands lead us and guide us wherever you want us to go that jesus is everything to us you can say a lot about what the church does or doesn't do or the way the church is or isn't but when it comes right down to it jesus is at the very center of everything and we have to be clear on that that needs to be our single point of clarity because as central as jesus is to our faith and our life our, our, our life together as a church or our life individually, we can unbelievably actually get focused on other things in the flurry of our lives and the distractions that come with our worries that plague us or different things we're involved in, even programs and activities as a church, certainly our kids and all that's going on with them or our health and the ways that that is struggling. These are all important things that God cares about, but they're never, they were never designed to be the center of our lives. They were never designed to motivate all our thought and and somehow become the thing that we wake up thinking about or praying about. Jesus was meant to inhabit the center of our lives. And within our life as the Erickson Covenant Church, we want to remain clear that we are all about Jesus here. We are all about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We teach Jesus. We help people find Jesus. We help people follow jesus that that forms the very center of who we are that jesus the risen exalted king is at the epicenter of everything that we are i had a conversation with a young woman recently who i love very much she's not in this community talking to her on the phone and um in the course of conversation she relayed to me that she was a christian now that's great but it was a bit of a surprise to me like i didn't know that and so in the conversation Again, this is someone we have a lot of trust. And I, but I said, um, you know, I didn't know that. Could you tell me what you mean by that? And uh, it was a little bit of an awkward pause. But then she said, well, like, I'm good to people. And, and I try to do what's right. To which I, of course, said, well, I am very thankful for that. Like, I, I am very happy that you are good to people and that you um, try to do what's right. We're all thankful for that. But actually, that's not actually what it means to be a Christian. There are lots of people who are good to others and, and, uh, and try to do what's right that don't have any reference point to Jesus. And, and so then we had an opportunity just for a few moments to talk about, gently, gently, but to talk about how being a Christian actually means that Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, that he's the one you're following. Not perfectly, but he's the one you're orienting your life around. And that to be a Christian means that you are somehow related to Christ. In the original meaning, it means like being little Christs, because Christ is in you. Look at you all out there, little Christs. Yeah. And, and in the original, uh, you know, even in the early, early story in the Bible, they were called followers of the way, followers of the Jesus way. And now in culture today, of course, Christian has become this generic term to the point where somehow you can actually drop Jesus out of it and it still means something. But in reality, and I don't mean this harshly, 
But in reality, it actually doesn't mean that. And so we can have gentle, I think, hopefully winsome conversations with people and be able to say, well, actually, for me, being a Christian is actually all about Jesus Christ because he forms the center of my life. I keep praying for her that she will embrace Jesus as the center of her life. You know, this means when we say that Jesus is at the center, and we, we need to clarify that, it means that we actually, as followers of Jesus, or as people investigating who Jesus is, that we actually have to explore, like, who is Jesus? We have to, we have to wrestle with his identity. There are lots of opinions floating around about who this Jesus is. We know that. And actually, the opinions today, um, they're not that different than some of the opinions that would have floated around Jesus' day. People have categories for special people. And so they see Jesus, they hear his story, and if they are willing to believe that he actually existed as a, as a person, which most are, um, and good historians are, they'll, they'll, they have to somehow put him somewhere because he's important. The, what he taught was important. The way he affected the world is important. His claims are significant. So where do you put him? What category does he fit into? And so the cultural opinions or options that are available to us today aren't that different than the cultural options that were available in Jesus' day. As in, Jesus fits into a category of someone special, someone God-touched, someone that we should pay attention to. But we're not always sure exactly what that means. So for us, if we claim to follow Jesus or we're investigating who Jesus is, we want to get crystal clear on who is Jesus. What does it mean that he's the son of the living God. It's one of the reasons why we as a church try to come back around at least once a month to some of the great creeds. We've been reciting together the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest confessions, one of the earliest creeds of Christians, where they kind of put together some of the basics around who Jesus is, particularly because there were lots of pressures in their culture to dumb down Jesus, either dumb down his humanity, so he's just sort of some weird floating guy that was like awfully godly but not human, or the opposite. Let's just strip him of his, of his divinity and just call him a really special guy that we should all listen to. And so the early Christians, for the first few hundred years of, of, of the Christian faith, they had to hammer out, like, well, what do we actually think about this Jesus? And as clarity came through Scripture and through worship and through, you know, it was as, as he's been revealed, we understand that he is not a lesser than in one, but he's actually fully God and he's actually fully human. And what's more... He's the one that we orient our lives around. You know, in the, in the Bible, there's another analogy that's used for the, the, the Christians, for, for the, the church. It's that the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard that one. Some of you know it really well. Temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we're like a building that God lives in. And this is true first and foremost in the Bible for us as a group. This is the, the, the first order of priority is that we as a group of Jesus' followers are the temple in which God's spirit dwells. But then also, because it's true of us as a whole group, then it applies to the individuals who are part of the group so that you can say that the Holy Spirit actually lives in you, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, in that same vein of a building analogy, Jesus himself is called the chief cornerstone. In ancient building practices, they'd set a special stone that was cut properly and all straight and perfectly, and they'd, and they'd, they'd put it in the right place, and then they'd build the building oriented to that chief cornerstone. They would measure everything by that. They would line everything up by it. Everything would be built out from there in orientation to this chief cornerstone. That's true for us as temple of the Holy Spirit. 
that we keep our focus on Jesus. We keep orienting our lives around him. We keep measuring what we're doing, our priorities and our, 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 you know, the things that need to change in our lives, the, the ways we're thinking. We keep orienting that around Jesus who is alive, who is present, who is living among us and, and leading us. Well, let's get practical. What does that mean for us as a church? Like, How are we actually moving forward in some of our, some of our community life? You know, all this last year, and particularly through the spring, the leadership team, of which I am a part, we spent a lot of time praying and discussing and reading and discussing and praying and going to retreats and trying to wrestle through to get some clarity of, of the future, of how God is calling us to move forward as a community. And I just want to share some of that growing clarity with you. With Jesus forming the foundation of our life together, we will gather regularly as a church in two primary ways. Let me just break that down a little bit. First, we want to gather in a way that you're going to feel is pretty familiar. We're going to gather as a larger group. Look around you. We're going to gather as a larger group. And because I, I'm just too much of a preacher not to like alliteration sometimes, people groan, five W's. We gather as a larger group for worship, word, witness, work, and welcome. Try that. Worship, word, witness, work, and welcome. Yes. We gather to worship Jesus. Actually, one of the purposes for which we gather as a body is to worship the one who lived for us, died for us, rose again for us, the one who forms the very center of our lives. And that's not just the music we sing. It's the whole gathering. We gather to worship Jesus. That's for those who've said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm worshiping Jesus. But also, for those of us who are just exploring who Jesus is, it becomes a place for us to begin to observe and watch. Like, okay, these people, they are gathering to sing songs, to pray, to, to, to meditate, to reflect, to give honor and glory to Jesus. What is that all about? And you can watch and observe and think and file that in your investigative file as you're trying to explore who Jesus is. But know this, all of us, we gather to worship Jesus. We also gather to witness to who Jesus is. We do that through our worship. We do that in all the aspects of our gathering. We gather specifically to say, we are pointing to the one who is the key to life, who is the one who brings forgiveness, who is the one who gives us freedom. We are pointing to him, not only pointing to him for each other, but in some powerful way as we gather to worship, we are witnessing to the world. Now, I'm not saying that the people driving by there right now are aware of what's going on in here. Did we figure that out? How could we do that? But we could have a flashing light that says worship's on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Coffee's on, I thought about. We gather as witnesses, partly that we witness to each other, but also there's a way in which we are built up when we gather. So that as we leave into our jobs and our schools to engage with friends and neighbors and our own families, we know with clarity who we are. We are witnesses. We are a witnessing body. So we gather for worship, for witness, and also to work, using the gifts that God has given us, serving one another, whether it's in children's ministry, dream team, just loving one another and caring for one another as we gather. We join in the work as the body of Christ for the sake of others. We also, of course, pay attention to the Word. All Scripture, from Genesis 1-1 to the very end of Revelation, was designed to lead us to Jesus. 
to point to him. One of the critiques that Jesus gave to the religious leaders of his day is that they spent so much time studying the Bible and they missed the point. The point, he said, was that they come to know Jesus. He is the point of the scripture and we teach the scripture around this orientation so that people come ultimately to know Jesus. And of course, we gather as a larger body for the sake of welcome. We are very keen as a church. If you've not picked that up already, know it clearly. We are very keen as a church that we welcome all people in the name of Jesus. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter your struggle. You can be ragged. You can be rich. It doesn't matter. We are welcoming people from far away, from near, from any walk of life, welcoming them in the name of Jesus. That's why we put a priority into how people are received in knowing that they're expected, knowing that they're accepted, that we're living out that biblical verse that says we accept one another as Christ accepted us. We welcome people in the name of Jesus. But particularly, we are keen as a church to welcome people who, church is a scary idea. It's freaky. It's weird. Or at least it seems that way because they either haven't tried it or it's something they explored when they were young. We want to be the kind of church that a person who is unchurched or unfamiliar with church or scared of church might, just might, because you, your friend, love them and invited them, just might come and try this gathering at one point and discover, to their surprise, that you are all pretty normal after all. <laughs> that it's a place that they are welcome. It's a place that they can explore, not be put on the spot or made to feel strange or awkward. A place where they are welcomed to ask their questions and seek for answers. Or just sit and listen for a while and observe what's going on that we welcome people in the name of Jesus. Okay, so that's the larger gathering. That's not odd. That's not strange. I realize that's you know, pretty familiar territory. But second, what has come to us, very clear for us as a community, is that we will gather in smaller clusters regularly throughout the week for care and prayer, for growth, for application, and for service. We believe that we, and this again is not weird information, but I want you to hear what it represents for us as a church. We believe that we need to make regular small groups an essential, vital part of our life as a church. We need to make these smaller clusters places and communities where we are able to work out our life in Christ with detail. Where we're able to get to know each other, yes, and share questions and joys and struggles. We're able to actually get to a place of vulnerability and honesty with each other. That we're able to say, I'm struggling to follow Jesus here. I don't know what to do here. Or this is happening in my life. Will you pray for me? Care for me? How can I care for you? But I want to be really clear so there's no confusion. What we're trying to move toward, what we believe God has called us to do as a church, is that Sunday morning is no longer church. And then small groups are like this optional class you can take if it fits in your schedule. What we're trying to shift toward is that these are both real ways that we are the church. Do you understand the difference? We need to shift our language to represent reality. We've done that for a while now where we always say, we don't gather at the church, right? We don't gather at the church. This is a building, folks. We don't gather at the church. We gather as the church. And that one letter makes a huge difference. We gather as the church. And what we're saying is we want to gather as the Erickson Covenant Church in two primary ways, in larger gatherings and in smaller gatherings. They serve 
mutually reinforcing purposes, but they do different things in our lives, and we need both of them. They're essential to our life in Christ. And here's the deal. They're both church. Not one having priority to the other, but both mutually supporting the work of Christ in us and through us. Both are committed to helping people find and follow Jesus. Both are church. And over the next few weeks, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for small groups that will be rolling out this year. We want people who are far away from Jesus as well as people who have been following Jesus for a long time to be part of both of these gatherings, believing that they are both critical to our growth in Christ. They're both critical to Jesus forming the foundation of our church. It really is all about Jesus. He is our hope and he is our foundation. I'd like to do something a little different today. I'd like to invite you to join with me in two more songs. Right here in the middle of the message, I still got a little bit more. But to join me in two, two more song, two songs, two hymns, older songs of the church that kind of help us sink in to what we've talked about so far. So Laura and Carl are going to come and join me again. You can just remain seated, but I invite you to sing.
on Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The church is one foundation. Is Jesus Christ the Lord? She is His new creation by water and the Word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. With His own blood He bought her and for her life Elect from every nation, yet one for all the earth. The charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. To one hope she presses with every grace in due. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. With the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth have union with God, the three in one. And mystics, we communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. Well, not only does Jesus form the foundation of our church, he's also, he also marks the mission of our church. Just a few moments more on this, because next week we'll develop it a touch more. But what is our mission? Simply put, we are committed to doing everything we can, can to help people find and follow Jesus. That hasn't changed. That's a clarity point for us. We do everything we can to help people find and follow Jesus. We want people. People in our lives, people in our families, people we interact with, people we barely know, people we've just bumped into. We want people who gather here, who connect with us in various ways. We want them to hear about Jesus. We want them to see Jesus in action. We want them to start leaning in, listening to his teaching, investigating his person, hearing and wondering what implications does this have for my life, to grapple with who he is. We want to lead people 
who are far away from Jesus up to the same question. That after investigating and exploring and experiencing and observing up to that same question where they are asked what Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? How do we do that? Well, I think we follow the example of Jesus himself. That can sound simplistic, but let me unpack it. Here's what I mean. Jesus Throughout his life, he demonstrated in his teachings, in his actions, in his work, in the healings he performed, the power of the Holy Spirit working through him, in the, in the prayers that he prayed, in the ways he interacted with outcasts and sinners and religious people and, and, and both, both kind of friends, as it were, and foes. As it, he demonstrated who his father was and what his father was doing. In other words, the words and the actions of Jesus, they began to create an encounter, a buzz, a ripple. Throughout the people of his day, because of the way he was living, people had to respond. They were, they were forced to deal with Jesus. And some were intrigued by Jesus, right? And they got in close. And they began to hear more and discover more. Some of them were offended or repelled by Jesus. And they pushed him away hard. At least for a while. Some of them came back later. Some were included in this Jesus you know, family and friendship by surprise. They ended up being around Jesus and looking around and thinking, when are people going to discover that I'm here and boot me out? How many of you felt like that? They were included and Jesus was happy they were there and they were so surprised. The others who actually thought they were the stuff and they should have been included right at the start were challenged about their own perception of who they were and what Jesus was up to and what God was doing. They thought they were pretty great, but Jesus, frankly, cut them down to size. But everyone, without exception, had to come around to this question of Jesus' identity. Ignoring him wasn't an option. I mean, you could put your head in the sand and pretend you weren't seeing what you were seeing, but Jesus was right there doing weird stuff, powerful stuff, saying crazy things. You had to respond to him. And friends, I believe it's the same with us. That as followers of Jesus, we've been commissioned by Jesus and given his Holy Spirit to do the work of the Father, to then create an encounter, a continued encounter, a buzz, as it were, to cause ripples in the relationships of our lives. These things are done in the name of Jesus so that people who are far away from Jesus, people who, are, who aren't even sure what's going on, people who, are, who never would have even thought about God, suddenly catch wind. What's going on around here? Does that have something to do with me? And they lean in. They get a little closer. They begin to explore. They begin to ask questions. They begin to read. They, seeds that have been planted long, long ago suddenly spurt to life because of this ripple, this buzz. People who have been hurt by the church decide, I'm going to try again. People who have long thought they were excluded discover they are included. Every man, woman, and child having the opportunity to consider for themselves who Jesus is, what he has done, how he loves them. That's our call. That's our work as a church. And we do that when we gather, for sure. But we also do that just as much when we scatter. 
when we're in our schools or our workplaces or engaging with a, a neighbor along the side of the road or talking to a, a, a fellow mom on the, on the phone or we just bumped into someone new or we're inviting someone to our small group on Wednesday nights every step of the way. Now, some of you, I know, are just exploring Jesus now here in this community, and I want you to know we're actually really committed to helping you do that well, helping you process that well, not pressuring you, allowing you to observe and explore who Jesus is, to dig in deep and investigate his story, to look into his claims, to wrestle with the implications for your life. And all of it leads to the point where then you are able to make a good decision, to decide for yourself, do I think this guy is who he says he is? Do I think Jesus is who the church says he is? Who all these people around me are saying he is? We want you to be in a community. We want to be the kind of community that you can actually ask your questions and seek your answers. And as you do come to terms with who Jesus is, and you perhaps even, we hope, we're not hiding our agenda here, We do want you to come to follow Jesus. As you do that, deciding for yourself if Jesus is the Messiah, maybe you come to the point where you say, "Ah, I do, I'm going to throw my life in with this guy. I'm going to follow him. At that point, we're going to ask you to join in the same mission that we're on, which is helping more people discover that Jesus is the one who transforms their life too. The same truth, the same forgiveness, the same freedom that we have explored. Letting Jesus mark our mission means that We ultimately do everything with his goal in mind. Helping people meet Jesus and then follow him so that they can be transformed by him and help others be transformed as well. But coming to the end here, I believe that we as a church can only do that. We can only do what we've talked about today when we ourselves are following hard after Jesus. When we have gotten crystal clear that we are Jesus' people that we are oriented around Jesus. That as we are following hard after Jesus, as we are authentically experiencing the transforming power of Jesus in our lives, we are able to then genuinely invite others to come with us. It's not as though we have something that they, you know, we're pushing something on them. No, no, we're inviting them to come with us as we follow Jesus. We're genuinely sharing about the one who has given us life, who is walking with us, who is forgiving us, and continues to forgive us because we fail giving us life and purpose and freedom in this new family of his. Jesus is at the very center of who we are. He forms our foundation. He marks our mission so that we can help others discover that he wants to form the foundation of their lives too. In fact, he wants to become their very center. And so as we close today, I want to invite you to stand, but to sing well, you can sit at first. You stay seated. I'll let you stand in a moment. But to sing a song, of, a kind of a prayerful song to Jesus, that he would be the center of our lives. But also, could we sing and pray this song as a prayer that Jesus would be the center of our life as the Erickson Covenant Church? And because I thought this would sound better with ukulele, I'm going to try ukulele. If you're unfamiliar with the song, just listen in and then join as you can. Jesus, be the center, be my source. 
stand and let's sing that once more be my vision Jesus be our vision be our vision be our path and our guide be our path be our guide Jesus be the fire be the fire in our heart. Be the wind in these sails. Be the reason that we live. Jesus, Jesus. Be the center. Jesus, be the center, be our source, be our light, Jesus, be our source. Be our light, Jesus. Be our source, be our light, Jesus. Jesus, that is our prayer as a church, as followers of yours that you would truly form the center, the foundation. You would mark the mission of our church. Lord, we confess to you that we are not perfect. We are not a perfect church. We are not perfect people. We mess up. We sin. We fall. We stumble. We get it wrong. But today, we recognize that we need to have a crystal clear focus on you to let you be the center of our lives.
the center of our church. And so even as we look forward to this fall as a church, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us maintain clarity. That you would lead us and guide us as our source and our light and our hope. That you would reveal to us how you have called us to be and live so that others can discover your goodness and your grace. We submit to you as a church. We submit to you as your people. And today I want to pray for all those who are present in the Erickson Covenant Church, part of the Erickson Covenant Church, who are exploring who you are. I pray that you would gift each one with traveling companions, with clarity on this investigative journey, that together we would be the kind of community that asks the question, what about Jesus? And discovers answers that satisfy and lead to life. We give you all the glory and the praise. We thank you for leading our church. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God, go with you today. Join us for coffee time. I look forward to seeing you again next week for part two of our vision series.